You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. finishing uh, our sermon series in the Jesus Storybook Bible. So this is the last one of these. And the whole thing has been about um, God's secret rescue plan. And um, that was begun way back in the Old Testament, all the way back, you know, in the the first uh, story of creation and fall. Um, As soon as uh, the terrible 
lie from Satan came into the world that we were not loved by God, that we believed that uh, God did not love us, and there's a picture of uh, Eve with a snake pulled around her, believing the terrible lie uh, that God has forgotten us and um, that we don't need God and we can live on our own. As soon as that happened, um, immediately after that, God promised that he would send uh, this person who would come and would end the terrible lie and that he would bring about um, the redemption of the whole world. And uh, that's this guy. That's Jesus. And um, we're looking at this story uh, this evening where Jesus actually leaves. He came to earth. Um, we've been looking at the story of Jesus for the last several weeks. Um, and now he's going back to heaven. So this is called the ascension of God. And uh, it is written, verse 46 says, that the Messiah will suffer and rise. And then repentance will be preached to all the nations. And so uh, from his place of ascension where he's coronated king at the right hand of God, uh, from that place of power, um, he sends his disciples out to preach repentance to every nation on the earth, uh, including our nation. I mean, that message has gotten all the way here to Winston-Salem. And repentance means I reject the terrible lie. It's kind of what we were saying with Jay and me to Kate. Um, it's I will live under God's loving authority and I will reject the terrible lie that I am my own boss. And I don't own myself. Uh, my body is not my own. My life is not my own. That's, that's repentance, that I give up control of my life and I hand it over to God, the king, the risen king. And it, in doing that, it actually ironically restores our dominion, which God gave us in the garden. He gave us dominion to be like gardeners that reflected God's creativity and brought all the latent natural resources out of the earth and brought order and creativity where there's chaos. And so it deconstructs all the domination of pride, which is I am my own boss, like I am my own. No one, no one tells me what to do. I call all the shots. It deconstructs that domination system and it brings about dominion where under the, under the rule of God with humility, with our, our hands wide open, we can now actually lovingly and humbly rule the world with grace. And so repentance triggers that. And when he rises, the Messiah rises, he sends his spirit uh, to, to, to the followers, go into all the world and preach repentance. Uh, that's the ascension. So I want to look at two things. The story, um, kind of that everything must be fulfilled in Jesus, verse 44. That's what he tells him. Um, the backstory. And then the end of the story, which is that forgiveness, verse 47, must be preached to all the nations. Several times he mentions all the nations. And um, the Old Testament is kind of like a storyboard. If if you've ever seen a storyboard for a movie, if they're doing a movie, they always have these rough sketches of of the different um, scenes. You know, they're they're kind of pencil drawings. So you storyboard out the, the movie and uh, the Old Testament is kind of like that the storyboard. There's these rough sketches of what's coming um, with the coming of the Messiah. And uh, that's the story. When Jesus says the scriptures uh, must be fulfilled, he's talking about the Old Testament, the storyboard that leads to him. And he is the, he is the, the end of the story. He's the climax of the story, the finale of the story. Right before this passage, um, Jesus is walking with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. From Jerusalem to this little village of Emmaus, where they're from, and they're going back to work. They've kind of given up on the Messiah project. They don't think that's going to happen anymore. So it's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're walking back despondently to their home, 
giving up on Jesus. And then Jesus comes along like a stranger, like with a hood on or a cloak on, where they can't tell it's him. This is the risen Christ. And he gives them this three-hour lecture on the Old Testament, which I would love to have heard. I mean, I would love if that were recorded. This three-hour lecture to these two disciples uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And it says that he went through all the Old Testament and he taught them how every story was about him. So, like, he's describing Noah's flood and he tells them, that's about me. And then Jacob's ladder, and he says, that's about me. And he's talking about the burning bush that Moses saw, and he said, that's about me. And the Red Sea parting, that's about me. The Mount Sinai, that's me. Suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that's me. Another King David to come, a Messiah coming of the offspring of David, that's me. Over and over and over again, he just tells them the whole story of the Old Testament and how it all ends with him. And at the very end of that walk, they finally realize, oh, he's talking. he is the one talking to us. The Messiah is the one talking to us. And he disappears. And they go running back to Jerusalem. That probably didn't take them three hours. Those seven miles probably took them quite a bit less, maybe an hour and a half. And they sprint back to Jerusalem. They come to the upper room where all the disciples are waiting, full of doubt. And they say, we have seen the Lord. And the disciples are quarreling with them. They, they, don't, they dispute that they've seen the Lord. And then as soon as they're having this big commotion, Jesus suddenly appears in their midst and he says, peace be with you. So he comes right into their midst as they're quarreling, and there he is, the risen Christ. And then he says, verse 44, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Those are the three parts of the Old Testament. So basically he's saying the entire Old Testament, everything written in it must be fulfilled in me. It's kind of like the same lesson he gave the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, but now he's telling all the disciples that the entire Old Testament is the backstory to me. Which is an astounding thing to say. That the enti- all the Old Testament stories are really just the backstory. If you've seen the Rings of Power, the Netflix Rings of Power, uh, based on the Silmarillion of Tolkien, then you know that the entire Rings of Power series is a backstory to the story of Middle Earth, to the story of the Lord of the Rings. And Jesus comes and he says, That whole Old Testament is my backstory, and now I'm here to destroy the ring. I am here to complete the mission that the whole Old Testament was about, and I am the whole point of the entire scripture. It's all about me, he says, which is an amazing, startling claim to his divinity, that he is not only the author of the Old Testament, but he is also the focus of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And, you know, you might have read your Bibles your entire life. You might have grown up in church, and you've heard a hundred sermons. You've heard maybe hundreds of sermons, maybe even a thousand sermons, and you still have no idea what it's about. Um, I had professors at my seminary that they could quote the Bible backwards and forwards. They were masters of, you know, books of the Bible. Uh, just best scholar in the world about, you know, like Daniel or Numbers. A fantastic scholar of Luke. And yet many of them, sadly, did not know what the plot was about. They didn't know that it was a story about Jesus. Um, a lot of us think that the... The Bible is a story of being a good person. And you can go to a lot of churches today, and mostly what they're talking about is how the Bible gives you these principles for how to live a good life. Or maybe the Bible is about fulfilling my potential as a human being. The Bible is about how I can find inner peace, how I can be self-actualized. Or some people think it's all about social justice, or others think it's all about take back America, you know, Christian nationalism. But Jesus is not the supporting actor for the story of my life. You know, for the story of Ben Milner, he is not a supporting actor to help me live my best life now. That's not what he's about. You know, we think that our concerns 
are really weighty and really important. Like the elections were a huge deal to us and the economy and how it's doing and what's happening in Ukraine and the education of children. And we think that's the real story and that Jesus is kind of like weightless and insubstantial, that he might come into my life every now and then as a way of finding peace or contentment. He's kind of like this dreamy figure. You know, they thought he was a ghost in verse 37 because they didn't believe in his substantiality, like his deep reality, that he is actually more real than they are. They think he's a ghost in verse 37. And he's like, no, I'm the real thing. You're the ghosts. I'm the reality. Verse 49, behold, I am, I am here in your midst. I am flesh and blood. And I am sending, I am sending my father's promise. And you're going to go out. And you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm not a supporting actor in your story. You are little tiny actors in my story. And I'm going to send you out. And that, that's, that's a, a huge figure ground shift you know, for a human being to realize. To go from thinking that Jesus is a helper in my story to all of a sudden, no, I'm actually a little figure in his story, in the big story. And that actually brings fulfillment. That actually is how you find purpose and meaning. When you realize that you're not the point, that he's the point. And that you're living in the matrix. You know, for the most part, we're living in this computer simulation of very unreal things. Like losing sleep over a football game. Uh, losing sleep even over a thing like an election. Um, in the big scheme of things. In the Jesus story, not a big deal. And yet we, go, we get so hung up on these, um, you know, these pleasures around us. What we think, what we think are really real. And, and he becomes like ghost-like. But it's like, it's like somebody installing a new kitchen right now in Ukraine or in the Donbass region where all this like, heavy fighting is going on. Or like these people installing like, you know, a new bathroom or something like in the middle of a war zone. And we're, we're in the matrix. And meanwhile, you know, he's fighting Agent Smith and the machines. And they're going back to work in Emmaus and not realizing that they're actually supposed to be a part of this giant battle plan to send out disciples into all the nations to preach repentance. Blaise Pascal, the great philosopher, said that uh, we are like people running towards an abyss as we block our eyes from seeing what's ahead of us. We're running towards an abyss, amusing ourselves to death, as Neil Postman says in his book, just becoming very shallow, thin creatures. And there's a war going on around us, and we don't realize it because we think our story is the real story. And his story is the real story. If you've seen The Truman Show, it's, it's a very unnerving movie uh, with Jim Carrey. It's his most serious, I think, best role. The Truman Show is about Jim Carrey, who grew up his whole life. He was born in a fake place, on set. His whole life has been lived on set. He doesn't know it. He thinks he's really living a real life in this perfect little American town based on Seaside, Florida. And he doesn't realize that Seaside is not reality. It's like the Matrix. He thinks that that is what is real, but that all these people around the country are watching this reality TV show with him in it, that he doesn't realize is fake. And meanwhile, Ed Harris, who's like the Satan figure, is the director of the TV show, and he is doing everything he can to not let Jim Carrey realize this is not real. This is, this is fake. And sometimes I think to myself, am I living in the real world or am I living in the Truman Show? You know, what, what I'm so concerned about, is that really... What's really real? What's really deep? The real story behind the stories? Is that what's really going on in reality right now? Or am I living uh, this kind of fake life? Am I reading the scriptures? 
I mean, if, if you don't read the scriptures, if you don't know this story, then you're going to be flummoxed and baffled and bamboozled and think that uh, the real story is a story of entertainment or the story of me. Uh, it says in verse 45, he opened their minds. Now, at this point, these guys had memorized a lot of scripture. These were good, you know, young Jewish men and women who knew the Bible well. And he opened their minds and only then could they understand the scripture. They did not understand the scripture. Knowing all that they knew, they did not understand that it was about Jesus and his story to come and to transform the world. In the Matrix, uh, Morpheus says to Neo, Morpheus is like the prophet that realizes what's really going on. And he says to Neo, who is the neophyte, who doesn't really know what's going on. He says, you take the blue pill and you wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. But if you take the red pill, I will show you how deep the rabbit hole goes into reality. And at the bottom of that rabbit hole, the Matrix doesn't realize, but we know is Jesus. You know, it's, it's Jesus. And we have to be very careful about knowing all the verses and forgetting the plot. Um, the plot being stay into the city in verse 49 until you're clothed with power from on high. The plot is we are clothed with power by the Holy Spirit on high and that we go out and we preach repentance. We are sent out by the Holy Spirit. So the question is, has he opened your mind? Is your mind open? And have you connected the dots between your life and the secret rescue plan? Do you realize you're part of the secret rescue plan? Are you in school? Are you studying to be like your best self or to join the resistance movement of God? Like, why are you really studying? Why are you really trying to get good grades? What is that degree really going to do for you? Or at work, if you're at work, are you working to retire early to live the American dream? Um, Or are you working to witness to the work world in a very different way? That We live in a different way. We live in the way that we heard about in those vows tonight. That's the way we live. And are you at work to witness to that alternative way of life? And is your house that you live in kind of a monument uh, to your great family? If, you, if, you, if you're in a family home, if you're in a home uh, with a family, is your house a monument to the greatness of your family? This is the Milner house. Or is it a place, a haven of welcome? Are you using it to welcome people? Are you using it as a place for people who need a home to go to, to be in? And I would say you don't really know who you are until you become a character in the story. You don't really get who you are or what God made you to be until you become a character in the story of Christ. So that's the first point is the story. But the second point is that the story has this ending. And I know that the, the story of the Ascension is not the last story. Um, there's still a few more in the Jesus story Bible, but it's pretty thin at that point. Okay? So the Old Testament and the Gospels take you right up to the very end. And it gets pretty thin. And pretty much these guys, these disciples are looking up as he goes up into heaven. And that's close to the end of the story. That's where the real thing begins. He blessed them, verse 51. He parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. That's the end of the story, the ascension. And the ascension's hard for me. I was a a physics major. I know that when you go up, you enter outer space. You don't go into heaven. I know that... uh, You know, when the Russians got into outer space for the first time, they said, we didn't see Jesus, so obviously he's not real because we got into outer space and he's not out there. We know that he doesn't live in outer space. So when it says he went up into heaven, that was an accommodation to their worldview, to the way they saw the world. They they thought things in heaven were up. He was only doing that to accommodate to their worldview. What really happened is that a human being passed through the portal uh, into the throne room of heaven. 
It's like, kind of like if you've seen Stranger Things, the Upside Down, where you live in this alternate world that is like this world, but it's not this world. So if you've seen Stranger Things, the Upside Down is this world behind the world where everything's kind of red and gross and there are all these things flickering in the air and all these organic weeds. And it's like he went from the underground to the real world. He went from, we're in the underground, and he went from this world into the world behind this world, which is a beautiful world, the beautiful world of heaven. And for the first time, a human being goes through that portal and is now reigning in the real world, the heavens, the heavens, not like sky heavens, but the heavens, the unseen realm. And he goes into the unseen realm, and it says in Daniel chapter 7 that the Son of Man comes riding in on the clouds. Behold, I come with the clouds. That means he ascended and enters into the throne of heaven. So now a human being like us, certain height and weight, a real human being is now apparently passed through into that unseen realm and he sits in the control room of the universe and he, he rules from there. So in Revelation chapter 5, we were, I'm in a Revelation Bible study and we just looked at this. In Revelation 5, it's the, the scene is we watch him pass into the throne room. It says, between the throne and the four living creatures, which nobody knows what those are. They're almost like nature personified. But between the throne where the Ancient of Days sits and the four living creatures and among the elders with the, the, lamb, the lamb comes, this human being. He comes between those four living creatures and the throne and he has seven horns, which means he's omnipotent, and seven eyes, which means he's all-knowing, he's omniscient. And the Holy Spirit's pouring out of him. So... Again, that's what the ascension is about, is now a human being is reigning over the universe. That happened in the year like 33 AD. And from that point on, the universe has never been the same. The world has never been the same. In, uh, in that, at that point, the real story finally began. So although I said it's the end of the story, it's really the beginning of the story. As uh, in the last battle, the last Narnia book... Uh, the very last part of the last battle, it says, um, Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And that's what's happening in the ascension. They are, now we are entering into the last days, the end times. When the Bible says the last days or the end times, it's talking about this time, where he has now been enthroned and the story begins. The real story begins where he says everything must be fulfilled. Verse 44, at that point, when he ascended, everything started to be fulfilled. And so uh, Habakkuk says, the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And, it, and that must be fulfilled now. The, in other words, that the earth must be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's a promise. That must be fulfilled. Everything must be fulfilled. Verse 44, justice must roll down. Like a mighty river. That's what we said that in the confession tonight. That must be fulfilled. Justice must roll down like a mighty stream, as MLK quoted. Uh, the lion must lie down with the lamb, as Isaiah says. That must happen. That must be fulfilled. That, that promise in the Old Testament of the lion and the lamb lying down together, like nature becoming at one again. That must be fulfilled. And the swords beaten into plowshares. The, our weapons of war being turned into weapons of peace. Like maybe nuclear bombs becoming sources of power for um, power plants. That must be fulfilled. That's a promise in the Old Testament. Swords beaten to plowshares. That's in the book of Micah. Forgiveness of sins must be preached to all the nations, verse 47. It must happen. Starting here in Jerusalem, it must happen. Because now he has ascended and he has grabbed Satan like 
described like a serpent, like around the neck. And he has got him. He's, hold, he's holding him fast and not allowing the, the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, to deceive the world anymore. He has, as the ascended Lord, he has now grabbed the ancient serpent and he has him bound. He has grasped him by the neck and he cannot deceive the nations anymore as he used to. And so in every century that Jesus has reigned from 33 AD, he has taken more and more ground in this world. And nations are being undeceived everywhere. And they have been for 2,000 years. In, 19, in 1800, 25% of the world had heard of Jesus. In 1900, it was 50%. Um, and now it's 70%. In, in 2022. Just think about that progression. After all those years, in 1800, 25% of the world had heard of Jesus, 1900, 50%, and now it's 30%. I'm, just, I'm saying that this is really happening. This is, this is being fulfilled, that forgiveness of sins and repentance is being preached to all the nations. In 1900, there were 10 million Christians in Africa. Today, there are 600 million Christians in Africa. It's the center of Christianity. And China is soon going to have more Christians than any nation on earth, very soon. More than America, China. Uh, And Iran uh, is the fastest growing Christian nation in the world with a million converts. Even in the middle of political unrest in Iran, it is the fastest growing Christian nation in the world. So all the nations are being undeceived right now. He has grabbed the serpent by the throat. And when we proclaim the truth, it's out there. Truth is is more uh, powerful than lies. As light cuts through darkness. And so why would the truth not overcome lies? When billions of people are on the internet, and the second most common internet type search is for religious things, why would that not spread the gospel? Because truth is always won over lies. Like, why would he, not, why would he stop taking ground if he's been doing it for 2,000 years? It's not going to happen. The Bible is the best-selling book in the world every month. In the New York Times list, it would always be number one. Every month, it sells the most books of any book in the world. There were 4 billion copies of the Bible printed in the last 50 years and, and sold and into people's hands. So um, lest you think that Christianity is dying in America, it, it's not even dying in America, but it's certainly not dying in the world. There is no way to stop. Everything must be fulfilled because it was a promise. And slavery didn't stop it. It actually, it, it completely screwed up the plan. It actually, it, it strengthened the church somehow because the slaves themselves took on that faith and are spreading that faith. Um, colonialism did not stop Christianity. All these sins of people did not stop the seed from growing. Communism, you would have thought, would have stopped it. But actually, China, it completely backfired in China. All these things backfired. All these ways that Satan wanted to destroy the world have backfired. And I, I pray that the ascension, the end of the story, will give you hope that is invincible, like they had. And it will flush away your pessimism, which is so rampant in the church. Like, you know, America's going to hell in a handbasket, that kind of thing. That, that is not true. Or that religion's dying. Or the rise of all these people who are identifying as not believing. Um, don't listen to that. That's, that's not the story. If you really want to know what's going on in the world, read missionary newsletters. Uh, read, like, websites um, like Operation Mobilization, where they tell you what's actually happening behind the scenes. That's the, that, the, the matrix is what we see on the news. The real stuff's happening behind the scenes. Uh, verse 52 says they went right back... To Jerusalem, which is the viper's nest, where they're likely to be killed. And they went back there with joy because they were so confident that the great story had begun. The unicorn in the, in the, last, uh, the last paragraph of the last battle, the unicorn cries out 
Uh, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now, farther up and farther in. I mean, the joy of the Lord makes them completely unstoppable. They're unbreakable. They stood there in disbelief, verse 41, filled with joy and wonder. Filled with joy and wonder because they knew that everything must be fulfilled, that he was now ascended, that he is ruling the world with grace. Now, when I say this stuff about Jesus taking over the world, it might make you nervous. I mean, I get kind of nervous with that language, like Jesus is taking over the world or he's conquering the world. Um, When I hear that, I think, whoa, that sounds like dangerous, like imperialistic. Um, That almost sounds like colonialism again. And uh, I, I can, I can, uh, that, that is a real danger. And the church has fallen into that danger. So I'm not discounting the fact that, that has happened. The church has done that. But let me take you back to that throne room scene again in Revelation 5. When, when, um, when John is told that the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered and sees the lion moving into that area between the throne and the four living creatures, he's told to look and he's... He hears that it's a lion, but when he looks, actually, he sees not a lion, but he sees a slain lamb. And the lion tells you that he is a conqueror, and he's fierce, and he's unstoppable. If you put a lion in a cage match with any other animal, and it's going to win. And so he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when John looks at him, he sees a slain lamb, the weakest, most gentle creature and bleeding, and dying, actually dead, like somehow continually dying, a slain lamb. He looks, and he sees a slain lamb. And so he, when the king takes over the world, he does it through suffering. And we do it also through suffering. We do it as he did it, not through domination, but through a cross, through death to self. When the church is really doing its job, it is, it is suffering with love for the world. And that's why it's not scary when you think of it as a takeover. Because it is a takeover, but it's a takeover of love. It says in verse 46, I will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. In other words, I will transform all violence into grace. Even the most violent mechanism in the history of the world, which is a Roman cross, you know, the ultimate instrument of violence, I will transform that cross into a symbol of grace and love and nonviolence. The cross. If he can do that, then what can stop him? So I'll end with this quote from The Last Battle. Again, C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles end with this. As Aslan spoke, as he spoke, the things that began to happen were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. Remember, we love these rascals.